Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing. Recorded at the PW offices in New York City, I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. I'm Heidi McDonald. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of The Beat at comicsbeat.com. And you can check us out at, at uh, PW Comics World on the Twitters. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm a podcast producer, and you can find us online on Tumblr at pwcomicsworld.tumblr.com. And you can subscribe to More to Come on iTunes and on uh, Facebook. We're at facebook.com slash pwcomicsworld. All right, this week on More to Come, comings and goings. Uh, Comics Pro, the retailer's uh, convention. Uh, huge news from DC, Marvel's fresh start. Dead Reckoning, a new imprint. Uh, from an unlikely place, and news from the Emerald City Comic Con. So, comings and goings from our own. Well, I, go- you know, there's so much news right now in the yes. comics industry. I don't even know how we're going to fit it all in. I mean, between Comics Pro, yeah. Emerald City, and everything coming up, it's just, uh, it's you never know. You, I, I just went out to lunch and I came back, and all this stuff happened. So, uh, <laughs> yes. uh, yeah, yeah. Well, just so you know, readers, listeners. Heidi is actually not here in the office with us because, thanks to a snowstorm, she has an extended stay in that other home of comics, Portland. That's right. I am in Comics Town. Um, I've been visiting She's in Portlandia. Portlandia, yes. And uh, definitely checked in on a few of the uh, local uh, comics landmarks. So, uh, you know, I'll have, I'll, I'll have more to say about that probably on our next podcast because okay. uh, we have so much to talk it's about this so time. But, uh, yeah, well, Emerald City Comic Con was this weekend, and I guess you could call it a spring training for comics because, really, the Hot Stove League uh, after, you know, the last con of the fall has ended and everybody's been thinking, and now they're back out on the street. You know, Comics Pro kicked things off with a lot of news, which we'll get to, but um, a lot of comings and goings. Uh, So Valiant, uh, we've been talking about, it's been going on there. And it was announced that Hunter Gorenson, who's their very popular VP of uh, marketing and uh, you know PR, is leaving. And uh, a lot of people were pretty shocked by this and kind of took it as a death knell for Valiant because Hunter is really the um, driving force there. Not to put down editor-in-chief Lauren Simons, but um, yeah, uh, you know, we were speculating about the future of Valiant after Dinesh Amdasani was forced out. Sure. And uh, I'd say Hunter leaving is not that great. So it's not a good sign, yeah. <laughs> no, no. So then, uh, but, you know, the PR wheels are also turning at IDW, where Stephen Scott announced that he was leaving to pursue uh, time with uh, more time with writing. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm Calvin, I know you've worked with Stephen on a bunch of yeah, things. Absolutely. Yeah, and he was great. So, all right, well, PR people come and go. But then yesterday, a bombshell, which I actually broke the news on the beat, was that Chris Ryle... The editor-in-chief of IDW, a position that he's held on and off for 14 years, yeah. uh, is leaving. Yeah, and, that's pretty uh, – that's kind of a thunderclap for sure. Yeah, and uh, he made it very clear. He made it clear uh, on his own Twitter uh, he is leaving of his own choice. Uh, he was not forced out. Uh, where he is going, it is not known yet. Um, I've heard a little speculation on that that I will not speculate on the podcast but, um, yeah, IDW, the number four or five publisher, depending on the month, is now without an editor-in-chief. And yeah. So no replacement has been named? It just broke yesterday. So uh, we'll pursue that information, more information about that for you uh, listeners. On uh, There will be more to come on it, all yes, of this. Yes, yes. Everybody's just kind of reeling from this, to be honest. So, yeah. But uh, meanwhile, at Comics Pro, there were huge changes at Diamond. So, so many changes at Diamond. Diamond has added a digital pull list option called, wait for it, pull box. <laughs> that kind of says it all. <laughs> in, in now, which, this was, wasn't this in reaction to, uh, I mean, Comixology had something like this, right? Kind they of an did, but they pop- just sunsetted it. Yeah, right, right. And Comixology didn't really, okay. I, I don't know what I'm talking about. If it's what I think it is, it's something different, but we'll just... I'll cut this out. Boop. Go on. But it, it was a way, I mean, because it wasn't an online way really for, you know, for, for people to pre-order and other kinds of things. And, uh, and you know, retailers could 
keep a digital record of what was going on, what's coming down the road it, that way. It, it puts puts retailers in closer in touch uh, uh, from what I could make of it with both their the fans and with the public. Well, you know, listen, a lot of details have not been have mm-hmm. not been announced about this. And uh, however, what it is is that basically, you know, everyone, especially creators, are always going um, and telling their readers to pre-order. In fact, you know, when I talked to Greg Pop for this podcast just a couple of weeks ago, we had a whole segment uh, about pre- this idea of pre-ordering. And I would actually refer you to that episode of More to Come uh, because Greg had a lot of very cogent things to say about it. But uh, in, I guess the idea is that, say you're, um, you know, a Kathy Comics reader and you see a story about a comic and you say, that sounds cool. And then you could go on to a pull box and uh, say, uh, you know, theory, you've, um, you know, named your local comic shop and you say, hey, I want to get that when it comes out. And then it sends an order. Now, will there be payments? Will there be micropayments? Will there be transactions? How will this work? All up in the air, all unknown. Yeah, but I mean, I have to say, um, <clears throat> just to give you a profile of a dedicated comics buyer, um, I have never used a pull box since I was a teenager. And then I only used it like for like two months before I got tired of it. So even <laughs> someone who likes comics enough to be on a comics podcast is like, a pull box, such a pain. Why bother? But if there's a digital option it, that you can do right as you think about it, I think that will have appeal. Well, see, that's the whole thing, really. I mean, um, I mean, you're talking about a physical pull box, right? Physical where they, pull box. Where they, yeah. But this is going to – I mean this is sort of a digital a, a, a analogy and really the really the key – in my view, the key here is the word pre-order. This is a yeah. huge part of, of online digital sales in the publishing, whether no matter what kind of publishing you're talking this about. This is for – this is you by pre-ordering a physical comic from your comic store digitally. Yeah, physical, is it not- digital, whatever you want. I mean when the book is ready, you've already got your order in. Now – Heidi's right too. I, 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 we don't know what the payment system is. Sometimes mm. you can pay in advance with your credit card, but it doesn't kick in until the book is ready. I mean, it depends on what they're offering, and I'm not, I'm not sure that well, we. Even you know what? Not yeah. There is. Listen, I was told that the reason that Diamond announced this without a lot of detail is because there is already a competing service that yeah. offers this kind of thing. It's not Comixology. It's another new system, new software okay. that does this. And so Diamond uh, decided that they needed to get, get a jump on this. Now, you know, I did an interview with, with uh, Philip Sablik, uh, the VP uh, or the publisher, actually, at um, Boom Studios, mm-hmm. uh, just after Comics Pro. He wanted to talk about their ascension to premier publisher, which we'll get to in a minute. And yes. I asked him about Pullbox, and he just said, you know, we don't know yet. We don't know what the details, but in theory, they're very excited about it. So that's really the bottom line on this. Uh, however, it could be a game changer. Pre-ordering is huge. It's huge in the self-publishing world. Uh, it's 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 huge in the conventional publishing world. The ability, for instance, to use Amazon the, the Amazon.com's pre-orders is really huge in terms of the, uh, monitoring the uh, the interest in a book. And real hardcore fans love it. Generally speaking, when they're looking, when they're chasing an author, they love being the first in line. So it'll be interesting to see how this pans out. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. So, but that was only one of a host of changes, a host of things that were announced at the Diamond Retail at the Comics Pro. Uh, you know, as I mentioned, uh, they got two new premiere. Well, actually, let me back up a minute because DC did a huge thing uh, yeah. where they pulled yes. their listings out of the main catalog, and just like Marvel has been doing for dec- for over a decade, DC will now have its own little catalog that is. Um, that is included as part of the massive Diamond Previews. You know, but just before I packed to leave, I, I found my copy of Diamond Previews. You know, it's almost 600 pages long. You know, it's a phone book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I have to say, much as I love comics, I have real trouble getting myself to sit down. And look at well, who who would want to go through the 600-page catalog? But, uh, well, Diamond announced a few things to make it a little more wieldy as opposed to unwieldy, you know. And uh, so DC being gone, they they um, uh, ascended, they lifted Dynamite and Boom to premier publishers. This means that they will have their listings in the front of the book. And as Philip explained in the interview that I did with him, um, this just means that retailers will see your listings 
long before they get to they give the, up. <laughs> the re- the, long before they give up. Actually, you know, he had he had a pretty. Uh, you know what? Let me look this up. You guys can talk about what you know. Let me. Well, it's let me, actually a very yeah, because it's a very yeah. If I may say, it's a very good interview with uh, with, with Philip Blake. Yeah. Um, but he uh, said that. Uh, anywhere between 40 to 50% of the shops that have accounts with Diamond never make it past the upfront portion of the book. So 40 to 50, you know, almost half of comic shops don't even get to the scrum in the middle of the Diamond catalog. Yeah. So really, (laughs) it's interesting because I was never quite sure what Premier Publisher meant. uh, So it, so... That's probably no small accomplishment and no small deal to be moved to the front of the book. Uh, but I think in, in Philip's uh, interview with you, uh, uh, there, are, there are apparently other uh, rewards of partnering with, with Diamond. Yeah, there part- are. Now, you know, Diamond and DC, uh, DC and Marvel have a different uh, deal where they're like uh, brokered, which I don't quite understand. But basically, it's more like they hire Diamond to distribute their books as opposed to Diamond agrees to. It's like it's a lot more. But, yeah, they get – you know, they get a few little perks when, when uh, just as a premier publisher. But, you know, congrats to Boom and Dynamite. I mean, they've been at it a long time. And I actually saw Ross Ritchie at Emerald City. And I recalled how there was a Diamond Retailer Summit where he came up, this is probably about 10 years ago, and he said that Bill Shanus, who was then the VP of, uh, of per, I believe, purchasing at, uh, or at, of operations at Diamond, and he said that he didn't think that that Boo would ever be a premier publisher. And then Ross said, we're going to prove Bill wrong. And he made t-shirts yeah, that well, said, prove Bill wrong. And um, I reminded him of that. Bill and wrong. and he did. He did we prove Bill wrong. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Maybe you can dig up a picture of him, Heidi. Yeah. Well, I still have mine, so uh, I'll wear it. <laughs> uh, let's so see. DC announcements? Uh, yeah. Well, no, I mean, DC didn't DC. leave it there, so... So DC has announced Sandman Universe yes. that um, it's going to be directed by Neil Gaiman. I'm not really sure what directed means, but somehow he's involved in who gets what titles and what titles are approved. Um, I think it going, means he's not writing so much as overseeing the whole yeah, the line of books. But directed, I don't know how much oversight directed means. Whatever, but he's involved. He's yeah. involved. There's going to be a number of books set in the Sandman universe coming this August from DC and Vertigo. Right. And that is something to look forward to far more than it would be if it was just random books that Gaiman had no hand in whatsoever. Um, I I don't know. I sort of feel like it's extra canonical, but that's just me being an Well, they've announced, they've announced four titles and is it going to stop at four? Is it going to continue that? That that wasn't clear to me. I don't think they know. It depends on how it sells. But um, but they they have announced some of the people that are going to be writing uh, in this uh, mini imprint, uh, you know, uh, Nello Hopkinson, uh, Kate Howard, Cy Spurrier, Dan Waters. Yes, uh, and, and couple- interestingly, no artists were named. Yeah, interestingly, well, I don't think they have them yet. Yeah, that seems to be the case that they haven't really uh, nailed that down just yet. Uh, so we will see. Yeah, but I mean, DC has just been blowing the doors off. Uh, just this morning, they announced, as we record this, they announced Black Label, and um, this oh, is yeah. uh, this is a pretty huge to me. This is perhaps the biggest announcement that DC has. Well, I think the biggest was where they announced DC Inc. and DC Zoom, their uh, kids and YA titles, which are mostly graphic novels. Calvin, I know often yes. you're like, is there a graphic novel component to this news? Well. There is a lot of graphic novel component to this. Black Label is going to be an imprint that's designed to allow an all-star lineup of creative teams to craft their own personal definitive DC stories. Uh, and basically, they said they want this to be, uh, you know, if you look at the sales charts, it's always Watchmen, The Killing Joke, and um, mm-hmm. The Dark Knight Returns. And uh, I guess they kind of said, why don't we have some new books that sell as well as these books that came out 30 years ago? Um, what they, a remarkable idea, Heidi. Is. It's really great. No, you, I know, have... you know, one thing we didn't mention uh, that, that, um, that I also wanted to talk about today was the comic retailers um, uh, feature. But one of the things that came out in that feature were retailers asking for um, – they wanted superhero titles out of continuity. 
And I get the feeling this might in some ways be what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. They want stories that you can go to that are self-contained, that you know you don't have to know a whole lot necessarily about the current story. You can read them and finish them and then move on to the next you, one. So You mean like The Killing Joke and Watchmen and The Dark Knight? Exactly. And so in that sense, huh. I mean, DC sounds like maybe they're, they're, in fact, listening to what the retailers are, are, are asking for. Well, you know, last year at WonderCon, uh, DC did a, a big announcement, and they teased all of this. They and, and, you know, Calvin, I know at San Diego last year, they kept saying that they were soft announcing all this stuff. But basically, yeah. they said about a year ago that they were working on this line of adult uh, yeah. prestige formatty kind of things. Um, just some of the things. One, uh, two of them have been announced before. There's Superman Year One by uh, Frank Miller and John Romita Jr. Uh, also, the other history of the, of the DC Universe by John Ridley. Uh, that should be really cool, actually. Uh, yes. But then a new book, uh, a new Wonder Woman book written by Kelly Sue DeConnick uh, with art by oh. Phil Jimenez. So that's kind of cool. <laughs> Kelly Sue on, yeah, you know, Bendis and Kelly Sue at DC. Uh, can Fraction be far behind? Um, huh? <laughs> let's see. Uh, and Greg Rucka is also writing Wonder Woman, Diana, uh, uh, Wonder Woman. Um, and then also, uh, Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo are writing a Batman book called, uh, Batman Last Night. And finally, Brian Azzarello and Lee Bermejo are doing, um, back. they're back. Yes. With Batman Damned. And you know, they did, they just did that Joker book and that did really well. You know, that, that, that was, was a terrific book. That was that a really Joker good book. Yeah, and um, you know it 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 came out and it actually sold very well uh, that year, and it has not been. Uh, I mean, I haven't seen it at the top of the charts, but anyway, you know, it's like why not? We have returned boldly to the same ideas that we had in 1986, and we're saying let's let some good writers and artists work on some out of continuity standalone stories. Yep, 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 and they're and they're aimed at the book trade. Look, obviously DC is going to balance out. It's always going to be balanced between the direct market and the book trade. But there really is an emerging strategy here to make sure that they have an eye on the book trade. And we can go back over another previous announcements there, too, particularly DC Superhero Girls um, and the recent announcement of DC Zoom and DC Inc. Right. And, you know, really, all of this no tells mm. me uh, that uh, – you know, DC saw some numbers and said, you know what, let's diversify beyond the oh, pamphlet. Absolutely. And they've been talking about this. I mean, I, I will say this, that uh, when we've been to their uh, events at, at San Diego, Heidi, uh, there's always some point where they make it a point to uh, to talk about the book trade. Right. Uh, in, in some cases, unasked by me uh, <laughs> to well, talk talking about that. to someone from Publishers Weekly. They know that you're interested in the book trade. Well, absolutely. Yeah, but, but uh, you know, one year they brought it up when I didn't even. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you so know, sure. I would have to say, as far as that goes, honestly, uh, that um, you know, Dan DiDio, and, and I'm sure he'd be the first to admit this because you know, Dan is very candid, and he wasn't always on board with the graphic novel format, you know, and um, I think he's changed his mind about that. That's because the numbers never lie. That's right. The numbers, <laughs> you know, it's the numbers, the numbers, the numbers I, I are bad. Just like Lost. Yeah. Remember Lost? Anyway. Yeah. Anyway. So uh, is there anything else from DC? Let's see. Pulling out of the Diamond Catalog, Sandman is back, a new line of uh, mature graphic novels. Well, um, it's sort of tangential to what we've been talking about. Neil Gaiman has a new anthology coming out with Mark Buckingham from Dark Horse. Uh, called Likely Stories, based on his short story collection of that title. And right. he and Buckingham are adapting it for graphic novel format. So uh, basically, I guess DC does not have a stranglehold on Neil Gaiman. If you're Neil Gaiman, you can write your own contract, write your own check, no exclusives for you. Um, so there's going to be a whole lot of Gaiman coming out soon. Right, right, right. Well, he's, he's spread out pretty far because there's a, there's a library of Neil Gaiman stories at Dark Horse. And he's also got books to come out from Harper Collins. Yeah, also. and apparently he's the showrunner on their um, um, sub TV show. I mean, you know what? All of his books are good omens. Good omens. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. all of his books are in production, and I can't even keep track of them all. So, <laughs> so anyway, well, he's doing well. Okay. Yeah, you know, mean, meanwhile, over at Fresh Start, <laughs> over at Marvel. Yes. <laughs> Ah, uh, yes, Marvel's fresh start. What is it? Just renumbering things again? 
It's not really well, clear. So far, it's been more like a stale start. I got to be honest. <laughs> well, I mean, it, there were some really sort of strange stories coming out of Comics Pro about the Marvel panels and whatnot. I mean, um, stuff I read on the beat, of course. <laughs> yeah, why but, don't we go into that? Kevin? But I've, uh, well, I'm, I, I'm just but quoting you know, what I read on the beat. Well, I, very, you know but, what? There, I, I, I know what you're talking about. You know, it was one retailer tweeted about that. He just said that they, they didn't allow anybody to take notes or type on their laptop during their presentation. Because uh, they didn't want it all to be on bleeding cool, so instead there's really nothing. But I mean, there have been quite a few. You know, they announced Tanahisi Coates is going to write uh, Captain America yes. with Lenel Yu. I mean, they've actually have made quite a few announcements. Um, I see my writer didn't put the fresh start tag on all my stories, so I can't tell you what they all are. But um, anyway, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, like Dan Slott is writing Iron Man. A lot of stuff that we knew already. Um, you know, there's a Sentry book coming. Jeff Lemire is back at Marvel after he said oh, he wouldn't well, do anything good, for yeah. Marvel. Good uh, God, a Sentry yeah. book. I thought yeah. we saw the back camp. But there's been a lot of um, criticism that there's, um, you know, it's all white men. I mean, not, not Ta-Nehisi Coutts, but like almost everybody else writing these books is the same old white dudes. And, you know, where are the women? Where are the women characters? So... Where are the people who haven't written for Marvel 47 million times in the past? uh, Well, certainly, uh, uh, you know, maybe this is just for me, (laughs) but 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 certainly the news about Ta-Nehisi Coates returning um, to uh, to a new series of Black Panther stories, as well as him taking on Captain America. I mean, that obviously is kind of stopping your tracks news. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Coates has written about it rather eloquently, uh, his decision to, to take on Captain America, you know, from his perch over at the Atlantic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, you know, I've been on the road for a week now. What is today? Thursday? More than a week. I don't even know. I've been gone a long time. <laughs> and, um, you know, every day I wake up, you know, I'm on the West Coast and like, you know, there's already been a barrage of news <laughs> announcements and stuff. I mean, it's hard to, it's making your head spin. It's a head spinner. So, um, but yeah, you know, I mean, aside, I mean, that's, but you know, this has been rumored, Ta-Nehisi Coates on Cap, Cap has been rumored for quite a while. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's not exactly, you know, there's been no surprises and, uh, the ones that were mildly, uh, mildly noteworthy, nobody's been that impressed, impressed with basically. Well, I mean, to be fair, Ta-Nehisi Coates, it's, it's great that Marvel has figured out, hey, it's true he's black and did really well on Black Panther, but we could have him write characters who aren't black as well. Huh. So, you know, points to noticing that, points for noticing that, Marvel. Thank you. <laughs> well, although, you know, to, to be fair to Marvel, apparently, um, uh, um, you know, Alonzo uh, actually uh, suggested to him early on that this is a project that he might be able to take. Well, on. to be he fair, he writes about that. In, so he said in the Atlantic. So I heard, yeah, that yeah, um, like <laughs> a lot of these fresh quote fresh start titles have actually been rumored for about nine months, and apparently these are projects that it's not really a line wide reboot. It's only like about fifteen new titles that are going to go back to a new number one, and. Um, you know, uh, I heard a lot of people talking about Marvel and uh, where they go from here, and um, nobody seems to know. You know, we've yet to hear from uh, C.B. Sabolsky, the new editor-in-chief, and John Need, the new publisher. I mean, you know, talking about comings and goings, I mean, there's some comings, and we haven't really heard from them yet. So, uh, you know, John Need was spotted at Comics Pro, so uh, I'm sure he did talk to some retailers there, but, um, you know, a lot of questions. Yeah. Meanwhile, in response to the groundbreaking Black Panther movie, Marvel has decided to, wait for it, reboot Black, well, not reboot, but reboot the book Black Panther, albeit not the continuity, and send Black Panther to space. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, yep. Because clearly what you see, think of after you watch a movie set in Wakanda is... That's I what? like this. It would be better in space. <laughs> black, people are, black people are cool in Africa. I mean, that's always been cool. But black people in outer space? Oh, come well, on. It's is... no better. It, well, it would be good, but I, I think people might might like to try out original recipe Black Panther before trying new improved with extra added space yeah, on yeah, top. Well, I don't know. This, is, uh, this whole Black Panther thing, it's mm-hmm. blasting off. Well, so. uh, <laughs> well you know, Ta-Nehisi Coates is staying on Black Panther. So, yeah. uh, you know, he just had uh, another, yet another 
uh, you know, National Book Award nominated uh, book come out. So, I mean, how is he going to find time to write his his award winning uh, works of uh, essays? Uh, you know, with all this comic book writing he's doing. So, you know, well, having read his essays, they read very much like Tanahesi Coates um, unloading his many many feelings about the world right before bedtime. Mm-hmm. So, so he he may continue to do that. Uh, as, as his, uh, evening relaxation, because, I mean, they're, they're brilliantly written. I'm not saying they're not, but they have this, the feeling of, like, something that naturally erupts out of him, uh, and his soul. So I, I don't think we're gonna see the end of his essays anytime soon. Alright. All right. And on that note, uh, so, um, well, I, I, I'd like to segue into, uh, peace. Uh, this is something that's been, a, that was announced quite, quite a, uh, you know, quite a few months ago, but, but we're getting closer and closer to the books actually being released. The Naval Institute Press. Now, for those of you who may not know, the Naval Institute Press is a nonprofit, independent, academic um, uh, publishing arm of the Naval Institute Press, which is based on uh, the uh, at the Naval Academy in Annapolis. And the Naval Institute is a think tank that basically does nonpartisan ideas generates nonpartisan ideas about the military and I mean, the navy of course but really the military broadly and then the naval institute press publishes books along those lines it usually publishes a, a variety of academic and accessible titles about you know military education and the like although they also publish fictions um they were the first people to publish tom clancy for instance mm-hmm. many people don't know that um they have even published poetry uh, but now they're going to be publishing graphic novels. They announced a graphic novel in, in, imprint uh, probably about a year ago. They now have a name for it. It's called Dead Reckoning, which is a navigational technique in the Navy. Uh, it's headed up by uh, an assistant editor and graphic novel lead, as he's called, Gary Thompson. Uh, it's a very impressive list, and, and Gary Thompson has an, an impressive pitch for what he's trying to do. He's very down to earth, but he's really looking, as he told me, to try to figure out what does a contemporary war comic look like. He is influenced, uh, you know. He's as he told me, he started out with the big two. You know, he moved to the uh, to the Indies and manga at a certain point. Uh, he he spent many years going to SBX uh, and the Baltimore Comic Con, uh, and then finally in 2015, the director of the uh, of the Naval Institute press uh, sort of asked the younger editors look at are there trends out there that we should be doing what should we be looking at it was his moment to pounce uh and he said look i want to do graphic novels it it spurred a a, a company-wide discussion uh they were going to do just one and they finally said look if we're going to do this let's do it right let's do uh as many as we can some will work some will some won't uh that's publishing so um dead reckoning is going to launch with Four graphic novels in the fall of this year, uh, and they're very interesting books. Very quickly, uh, let me just go over the list. Uh, the first book is called um, Machete Squad. It's a graphic memoir by Brent Dulock, who was a, a medic in the Army stationed at a, at a remote base in Afghanistan. Uh, the book is written with these guys, with, uh, excuse me, um, uh, War reporters, uh, Kevin Nodell, and a name that I'm sure Heidi will remember, David Axe. Yes. Who was um, really a one of the earliest comics war correspondents. Uh, uh, and the artist is going to be uh, Per Berg. I've seen samples of the book, and I think Heidi have too. And yes, I have. And uh, They look like really well-done indie comics. So um, uh, now, uh, now, the next book they're doing is an anthology called The Stand. Obviously... It's an anthology of, of war stories about uh, for people who have served in Afghanistan, uh, including apparently one story by, from a member of the Taliban. Uh, it's Americans and Afghan show soldiers, and uh, that's actually also done by uh, the reward reporters David Axe and Kevin Nodal with artist Blue Delaquanti. Uh, they've also got a book called Trench Dogs. This is by Iron Densford. This is also looks quite interesting. It's a wordless graphic story, fictional story, but based on really well-done World War One research. And it's set in the trenches of World War One, and it used anthropomorphized animals, dogs, pigs, and bears, as soldiers from Britain, Germany, and Russia, and elsewhere. 
Uh, and I, the, the pages I've seen look really fascinating. And finally, they're also going to do a series of archival reprints in collaboration with Craig Yo. Uh, and he's putting together a book called The Best, uh, the first book out, The Best of Don Winslow of the Navy, um, edited by Yo. And it, Don Winslow was this really popular uh, series of adventures about a fictional World War II Navy captain. And, um, uh, you know, mostly forgotten now. But so these will be brought back in living color uh, by, by Craig Yo. So we've got a lot to look for. Uh, and as um, Thompson says, uh, you know, look, we're known for publishing academic books, not everyone's cup of tea. What we're trying to do now is tell stories that make history, not just offer the dry facts. We want to do cool military stories for a new audience of comics uh, readers. So, yeah. there you go. You know, I had uh, lunch with Thompson a couple weeks ago. Maybe it was only a week ago. Uh, anyway, and he told me about these books and showed me some previews. And, you know, really, this is kind of the marchification, if I would call it that, you know. Good uh, yeah. Um, and, uh, but, I mean, it's really fascinating that a publisher with the, um, you know, long history of the Naval Research Institute would um, say, hey, you know what? We need to get a little bit more, or, you know, the Naval Institute Press, pardon me. We need to get a little more hip, and uh, I think graphic novels are a good way to do that. And, uh, you know, I got to say, this guy is so um, up on it, you know? I mean, Blue yes. Della Quanti, that's a, but, you know, I mean, that is not a name that uh, I thought to ever see on a graphic novel, let alone... Uh, from the Naval Institute Press, uh, you know, she is well known for her webcomic, uh, Oh Human Star, and, um, you know, she's, which is very successful. She's like a, a webcomic superstar. So, um, and, uh, and uh, you know, Gary mentioned a whole bunch of other creators. Like I said, oh, what about so-and-so? He's like, oh, yes, we reached out. And I said, what about such-and-such? Oh, yeah. such? oh, yes, we reached out. It's like, oh, my God, this guy's 10 steps ahead of me. I could not stump him. <laughs> you no, know, he's he, a really impressive, thoughtful guy. Yeah. He really loves comics. He really wants. He really thinks comics can bring, you know, ordinary readers and uh, a little closer to the military, or at least make them uh, use comics to connect with readers about the military. I, I think it's really interesting and really exciting. And um, uh, these books are coming out. They brought. They've even worked. Um, I mean, he's so thoughtful. He's even brought in um, uh, Sven Larsen. I think we know right, Sven, yes. who's well experienced on the marketing side as a consultant. And they brought in Parson Weems uh, Publisher Services, and they're a they're a distributor and a, uh, a, a sales representatives, and they have a long time relationship with Diamond Book uh, uh, distributors. So he made it a point to make sure that their marketing people there uh, had people on hand that could help them navigate, you know, the the idiosyncrasies of comics distribution. Right. Right. into the direct market as well as in the book trade. Yeah. So no, I, it's definitely one of the more, you know, even while the rest of the world is, um, you know, coming down in flames, uh, it seems like the graphic novel book market is fairly stable. Um, and uh, this definitely looks to be one of the more interesting launches this year. Yeah. You know, you guys, like even while we're talking here, more news is coming in. I just have a little ping here uh, that uh, Rob Liefeld has signed a huge deal with Netflix. He's just joined. Wow, yes, really? He's <laughs> just joined Mark Miller as uh, they he they they've signed up a seven figure deal with Rob Liefeld to bring the Extreme Universe to Netflix. So, what? Yeah. but why? Netflix has too much money. Clearly, I do have too much. It says Rob Liefeld's Extreme Universe features gritty stories and distinctive characters. <laughs> okay, uh, and they bought on Akiva Goldsman to run the show, so this is going to be quite right. something. Something, yes, it all will right. be something. Holy crow! All right. Now, now to be fair, Netflix uh, has been throwing a lot of money around. They've they're planning to add thirty new anime in twenty eighteen, and so they're committed to promoting and creating anime. Any recent announcement? So. This may just be a drop in the bucket of the giant amounts of money Netflix is throwing around. Well, if you happen to have a universe sitting around, uh, you might want to call Netflix. Yes, unless, your name is, unless your name is uh, Valiant, in which uh, case, sit down on the boat. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They've already been bought and yeah, not by Netflix. Sad. <clears throat> All right. Uh, shall, we, shall we move on to, to Emerald City? Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. 
Well, uh, you guys, I got to say, you know, I ran into Eva Volan, uh, the librarian from Alameda. Awesome. You know Eva, right, Calvin? Yes, I certainly uh, do. And, um, you know, we, we hang out with Eva when we go to TCAF, uh, which is our favorite show of the year, right? We all love that. Well, I saw Eva at Emerald City, and she said, this is my new favorite show. <laughs> she says, <laughs> uh, she says uh, you know, who cares about San Diego? I'm just coming here now. And uh, I got to tell you, Emerald City, you guys, is just lit. It is on fire. And mm-hmm. it is, as I tweeted, there is ni- uh, they expected 80, uh, pardon me, 95,000 tickets sold, which is how ReadPop um, counts tickets. And they did not have Marvel there. They did not have DC there. They did not have any movie announcements. There were a few celebrities who did uh, autographing, like uh, David Tennant was there, um, really not even a factor. Uh, it was all about comics, about publishing. It's about gaming. It's about costuming. But it was such a fantastic show for the spirit of fandom. And uh, you know how much we love TCAF, Calvin. Uh, uh, we love TCAF. Right. But... I felt a lot of the same spirit for a wider, oh, uh, you know, not just kind of indie graphic novel publishing, but you know, for a wider spectrum of comics publishing uh, than I felt anywhere but TCAF. That sounds great. Well, that sounds like I need to go to T- uh, Emerald City. One of these uh, I would honestly, it, it was like, I mean, there was, you know, a lot of the news had come out just the week before at Comics Pro, so there wasn't. I mean, they did talk, you know, we didn't even touch on Brian Bendis, but I mean, they announced this whole oh, right. Jinx World thing. That was another thing that DC announced yeah. last week. Uh, yep. Yeah. By the way, that they're doing Brian Bendis' Jinx World series, and he's got a new, um, a new Power. Powers graphic yeah. novel done already, ready to come out. Uh, I mean, these guys have been busy. Good lord! And um, well, I, I kind of feel like Bendis. It's gotten to the point where, um, given some of his scheduling issues, I think they would wait until he had one in the can to announce it. Yes, but um, sure. but they have one, and who knows how long he's been sitting on it? Yeah. Exactly. Finally coming out. Yeah. Well, I mean, as of just a little while ago, all these books were being published through uh, M- Marvel's creator-owned imprint, which I don't think yeah. even exists anymore. So, and I mean, they were it, kind of dropping off the map when they did. Yeah, it happened fast. It happened very fast. So, uh, okay. Um, yeah, but um, uh, you know, I'm trying to. I, I, I just want to just throw in there. I mean, their panels at Emerald City are fantastic. Uh, the programming, although, you know, I hung out with friend of the podcast, Rob Salkowitz, who lives in Seattle quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he said, oh, last year's even better. I'm like, why? How could they be even better? Um, but, I mean, they, they addressed a lot of issues. There was a lot of panels on diversity, but without being repetitive, which is we know that New York Comic Con can happen quite a bit. Um, just the creators, the artist alley was 500 people. It was a whole floor. Uh, just everyone... Everyone was there. It was just like the youngest, freshest crowd of contemporary comics creators that I've ever seen in one place. Super cool. I love it. So here's one. Well, should we talk about uh, DC dropping Whedon from Batgirl here or should we pop it into briefs? Um, Actually, I want to ask, do we have time to talk about the comics retailer feature? Yes. Okay. We do. Go forth. Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's, yeah. Cause I, because we, it, it, you know, it's published Make it about, quick, though. yeah, it's probably about three weeks ago. I'm showing 39 um, minutes. So, um, we're at 39 minutes. Okay. Yeah. All right. Great. Well, let me give a, a break, Joanna. Well, look, we, we're a little late getting to this, but, um, the information is still quite good. I mean, um, we did our annual comics retailer survey. Um, uh, Shannon O'Leary, um, did the, uh, did the work. Um, we were supposed to have her on the show, but that didn't work out. And look, I mean, a, a, she's working on a backdrop of comic sales dropping, uh, graphic novel sales dropping in 2017. They were down 5% in 2017. Now they were up 12% in 2016. Uh, there's a lot of product in the marketplace. Um, but there are also some, you know, there's some concerns out there among retailers, and we've talked about this on the show before. Um, retailers are, are they're worried about foot traffic in, in stores, uh, without a doubt. Um, uh, we uh, among the stores we talk to, we do this every year. It's an informal survey of retailers. 
primarily direct market resellers. We also consider some uh, 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 general trade bookstores. Among the stores that we talk to are, are Forbidden Planet here in New York City, Laughing Ogre in Columbus, Ohio, a Phantom of the Attic in Pittsburgh, uh, Secret Headquarters in L.A., and uh, for the, on the book trade, we do st- the Strand Bookstore here in New York City and Powell City of Books uh, in Portland. Um, so uh, uh, well, besides declining foot traffic, uh, which is one of the other uh, things, uh, there was there was quite a bit of discussion among some of the retailers about diver- diversity. And these retailers were like, look, I keep hearing this stuff about you know, attacking people who are after diversity. And, you know, uh, for instance, um, one of the uh, retailers from, uh, uh, what's the guy's name here? Um, pardon my, oh, Wayne Wise at Phantom of the Attic. And uh, he's, he's, I've read a lot of complaints this year about the concept of diversity um, and how it's hurting retailers. This sounds ridiculous to me. Your store should be welcoming to anyone who wants to read comics, whatever your politics, all these categories are growing demographics for our problems. If you don't want to sell to somebody, send them to me. Um, Jeff Ayers from here in Forbidden Planet uh, also had similar responses. Um, uh, uh, da, 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 I have never agreed with the anti-diversity arguments some publishers are making. We do quite well with titles like um, that. What the Hispanic America, um, a Moon Girl. Uh, Amy Rita's Moon Grill. That is that's not what's bringing sales down. He says Lady Thor comics sell better than the regular Thor. So we have other comments like this. We have uh, some really um, interesting uh, comments from um, what's her name, Julie Sharon on the staff at the Secret Headquarters, um, who also talked a bit about diminishing foot traffic across physical retailing stores. But uh, she also had a, a a bit of funny stuff to say about. Uh, uh, well, some of the same dudes have been working on the same DC books for 30 years. Maybe shake it up a little. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, you know, and, and, uh, let's see. Uh, you see. And she said, there's this African-American girl who shops here regularly. And and which uh, uh, Julie's at, I think, Secret Headquarters. Um, and um, she's probably like eight or nine now, but she has been shopping here for a while. I always remember the day she found out that Moon Girl was coming out. She was in here, like, jumping up and down. She said to her mom, there's a superhero who looks like me. He says, this is important. That's how you get a fan for life, right? So, uh, you know, uh, check check it out. Um, you can go on our Publishers Weekly, the Publishers Weekly uh, site, and uh, take a look at it. You can um, – I, I forget. It's, this was published uh, in February. But um, you can find it at publishersweekly.com slash comics. Thank you very much. It's right there on the front page. So it it just gives you a look at uh, it's our chance to talk with the retailers uh, to hear from people in varying parts of the country. We we uh, we go out of way to pick retailers from around the country to give you a sense of how retailers are are functioning all around the country. Yeah, well, I mean, basically, this was like kicks, you know, it's part of what I was talking about, you know, uh, Spring Awakening here in that uh, Comics Pro, this article. I mean, people are coming to talk about uh, what a crappy year 2017 was. And, I mean, there's no one, you know, now that we're out of it, everybody is admitting what a crappy year it was. You know, some people were down a little bit. Some people were down a lot. And, uh, you know, these are really vital issues. And uh, some of them are not being addressed. Uh, there was a diamond breakfast at Emerald City where they showed this, this for the year. One that hasn't really been promoted quite a bit was that for the first time, uh, the number of sta- uh, first time in a few years, the number of stores declined last year. You know, the customer count right. declined one percent. Now that's really flat. Yeah. I mean, that's not a huge decline. Sometimes it's up one percent. So you know, you could call that basically flat. But I think yeah. it's been growing about three um, percent of, of late. So you know, it's certainly not hugely up. You know, I mean, it's not like skyrocketing or anything. And uh, you know, one other thing. I mean, the, you know, we could do a whole show about this, but. One thing at Emerald City that everyone was talking about was um, Barnes and Noble, and mm. um, you know, because like talking about the direct sales market and corrections going on there. If you look at the book market, you know, Barnes and Noble. I don't know, Calvin. What do you think? <laughs> well, look, everybody's worried about Barnes and Noble. Um, um, their their sales continue to drop. 
Um, they are rolling out new concept stores. Um, you know, it, 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 what you're hearing in the comics business is probably the same thing you're hearing in the book trade. No one quite knows what's to make of Barnes & Noble. Um, they are uh, – I'll say this. The uh, the big five in American publishing, the, the big five uh, trade book houses here in New York City, they would go – I mean – there's been all kinds of speculations that of what they would do to keep Barnes and Noble from going under. Uh-huh. So it, it is an incredibly important um, a supply chain in, in American publishing industry right now. They're terrified that something would happen to Barnes and Noble and leave them completely at the hands of of Amazon. So, well, well, well but really, mm-hmm. it's it's still a wait and see. Is there any um, like suitor for Barnes and Noble that looks possible to acquire them? <laughs> Amazon. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> That's a bad of, joke, but what can I tell you? Well, part of me almost wonders if, should the worst happen, if instead of the usual, like, everything must go liquidation, if there would be some, I mean, Barnes Noble's a franchise, isn't it? They're mm. like local. No, no, local, it's a no, chain. it's not a franchise, it's a chain. Not a no, franchise. It's a chain. It's a chain. But, uh, but maybe. Well, Barnes Noble is not going under anytime soon. But I was going to say, but maybe if it's not a franchise already, maybe the smart money is in becoming one and spreading out the financial risk. Yeah, I don't see that happening. Okay. Um, but, um, uh, but Barnes & Noble is not going under. People are just worried about it, that it's continuing to lose sales, and they're just hoping that there is some corporate strategy. I mean, the problem here is that these are there are bigger forces working here. Amazon is Amazon's competition is an online retail in general is where people are shifting their dollars to. I mean, this business of the, the lower foot traffic. It's not just a comic shop phenomenon. So, I mean, and, and really, that's what many of the comics retailers that we talked to that were talking about. Their traffic is down, but when they talk to retailers in other businesses, they're facing the same issue. Right. People like to shop online. Mm-hmm. Now, well, yeah, I see that when you want to make an event of it, shopping outside the home is great. But if you're just like, like, oh, hey, I really need this book for whatever reason, and I don't have time to invest to, like, go to a store or anything, I can do this quickly. Of course, every time somebody's not going to make a big deal of it, they're just going to quick zip online and grab it. It's yeah. just, you know, yeah. on the other hand, I, you know, I'm here in, in Portland, uh, and I stopped by Powell's uh, yesterday, or the Monday, whenever it was, sure. and oh my god. <laughs> sure, Powell's is a great, I mean, yeah. it has an enormous, well, once again, uh, I should say, Powell's was the only was the outlier among the all of the publishers that we excuse me the retailers that we talked to everybody was down every single publish uh, retailer that we talked to was down a little bit uh, some a lot uh, for 2017 Powell's had a slight uptick in holiday, uh, holiday sales um, and um, they you know I, I will say this. The, the comics retailers did have some bright uh, – pointed out some optimistic points. One of the uh, – you see, one of the um, retailers, I believe his name uh, was Patrick Brower, the owner of the corner. From Challengers in Chicago. Um, he pointed out one of his statistics, and this keyed into uh, what a number of the retailers said, to diversify your vendors. Right. Um, he, he said he, he's proud of the fact that he ordered product from 213 separate vendors – uh, vendor publisher creators, you know, including Diamond Comics, but they're only one of the guys. Um, I think Jeff Ayers mentioned something along those lines too. Um, Wise also did that. Uh, in fact, Wise talked about um, my favorite thing is monsters. Uh-huh. Basically, admonishing his fellow retailers to pay attention to the world outside of the comic shop marketplace. My favorite thing is monsters made every best of list last year. And was covered in the New York Times. And if you don't have it, I guarantee you Barnes and Noble and Amazon will. Well, you know, listen, we're running short of time, so I'm not going to talk to you. Like on our next episode, seriously, let's revisit my trip to to, port, to the Pacific sure. Northwest because I, I I went to several different shops. I talked to shop shop owners and some Valkyries, and you know, a lot of good stuff. But just really quickly, yeah, there's a lot of issues. I mean, if you went to Emerald City, it was impossible not to feel really excited about graphic novels. I mean, everybody was selling out of everything, everywhere. You know, there's this new book from Oni by, by Ivory Noel Weir and Steen's about the librarians. It's called Archival Quality. And, um, 
you know, they, they all sold almost every copy of that. Um, uh, it was just, you know, it was gangbusters and it was publishing, it was comics. It was not, you know, these are indie books. So, um, there's, you know, there's a big fandom. I think we got some distribution sure. issues going on and we got some, uh, recalcitrant players who are not moving boldly into the 21st century. And, um, you know, there's going to be some casualties along the way. But, uh, but two points. Two points. Uh, Doug Chase, the graphic novelist of Bites, uh, one of the things he said was that he kind of said, look, the direct market is facing some of the challenges the independent bookstores faced like a decade ago. Yes. He says, you know, I think that the, – and he suggested looking at graphic novels for young people. Uh, he was optimistic about the future and, and believes that direct market stores will address these problems. Also, I think one of the things we're going to do, we're going to introduce a new segment uh, to more to come, Stargazing. So we're going to bring in Meg Lemke, our new uh, graphic novels review editor, and we're going to talk about a couple of star-reviewed books uh, you know, each, each month. So, um, And we have some this month. Yes, we have some coming up. We have a segment with Meg coming up in this show. Okay. Uh, we don't have time for a full slot of briefs, but there's one that's just too good to miss. Mongolians are angry. <laughs> this is, I, guys, guys, it's gotten to the Asahai Shinbun. It's gotten to like the real non-comics news. Okay. There, there are vast hordes of Mongolians, not making us up, very angry about a child in, a fictional child in a children's manga defacing a portrait of Genghis Khan with a doodle of men's private parts. <laughs> and, I mean, they were just saying this is this is an offense that can't be born. Uh, we we look up to and worship the memory of Genghis Khan, and all I can say is Genghis Khan did a whole lot worse things than draw a picture <laughs> of a kid defacing a picture. Yeah. I, but um, okay then. Yeah, well, maybe they need to get a grip. <laughs> well, wow. What a crazy week. Well, you guys, I'm hopefully weather willing, I'll be home and uh, we'll be back gathered together in the office next time. But in the meantime, there will be more to come. Okay. This is Calvin. We're back here uh, for a new segment. I think we're going to call it stargazing. And I'm here with Meg Lemke, our new uh, graphic novels review editor, uh, succeeding, Heidi, who, of course, you're hearing on another part of the show. Um, Meg, uh, welcome to your first appearance on More to Come. Hello. I'm so glad to be here. All right. So this is a new segment we're going to add uh, so we can have the graphic novels review editor talk a little bit about some of the starred reviews. So uh, so what uh, can readers of PW uh, look for I this love week? starred reviews because it's really a moment when you get mm -hmm. to... Uh, put light on a book that's ex mm. ex excellent and exceeding in some way. Mm -hmm. So, you know... Just for those who don't know, this, our starred reviews are, you know, our, mm -hmm. our excellent, excellent reviews. Yeah, so, they really yeah. have to be exceptional. You can mm -hmm. get a very good review in Publishers Weekly and not have it designated with a star. Mm -hmm. And it's, it is a, um, you know, it's a personal decision. And I, you know, to get into the weeds a little bit or behind the curtain, the reviewers, so PW uses anonymous reviewers. Mm -hmm. So none of our reviews are signed. And they take that anonymity very, um, it's, a, it's a sacred yes. tradition at Publishers yes. Weekly. So a start review is typically coming to me with the anonymous reviewer giving that recommendation, saying, mm -hmm. I really think this is a, an exceptional book. And I usually interrogate them about it a little bit and ask, sure. mm -hmm. why, you know, are you sure this isn't just something that appealed to you because it's a little different than what I last sent? Mm -hmm. um, sometimes it's obvious to me because I know the author. I'll maybe usually have read the book already. Mm -hmm. And then any title that comes in with that recommendation, I have to stop and really spend some time with the book to sure. ensure that it merits that mm -hmm. star. So some of the books that we've had in recent issues, I'm looking right now at issue from February 12th, so a couple weeks ago. We have two star reviews. One of them is in a box, um, which is for Young Francis by Hartley Lynn, who a lot of you will know under his pen name, Ethan Riley. So Hartley has been publishing Young Francis in serial form for years. And mm -hmm. how long ago did he start publishing it? You know, I, I, it's, it, it has been years because I'm familiar with this series. Mm -hmm. and uh, And I've met... Ethan Hartley. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, um, and because this 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 was kind of a cult 
you know, right. it had a cult status around it because uh, it's such a wonderful book, and it came out like about one one every two years, it seems sometimes. Yeah, it's been building and building, and I think that there's been a really like a growing anticipation from the indie mm. comics community, and that's why this book seems like an obvious start review. But I've had that in mind for books mm-hmm. I've gone out for review. Like I know this this book has reputation, yeah. and I'll come back with a lukewarm review. It'll come back sure. with some mm-hmm. questions about it. So it was really fantastic to know that this one. The reviewer's opinion was it merited a star. I was happy to give mm-hmm. one, and you know, the reviewer called it. A much-anticipated release which captures the emotional bonds and clumsy charm of two besties who always have each other's backs. Mm-hmm. And I think the review really gets at what's unique in terms of, like, a workplace humor that mm-hmm. um, Hartley captures, you know, using the language and, like, specific terminology of um, having a career in, in the legal field. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot about workplace power dynamics, and I think that that's what's really yeah. interesting and unique. We mm-hmm. talk about, like, um, it's John Hodgman who says, you know, details the soul of narrative. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the things about the book, and because I've read it, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, it's a story of these, uh, um, these two best friends, um, Frances Scarlin, who's a law clerk at a high-pressure Toronto firm, and her, her best friend and roommate, at least for a time in the book, um, uh, Vicky, who is, um, you know, Francis is a down to earth, clever, you know, reliable kind of person. Um, Vicky's a party girl, very talented actress who eventually leaves, uh, to, uh, gets a starting mm-hmm. role on TV. But the, 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 the book really, um, it outlines their emotional relationship in all kinds of ways. And, I mean, and that's just part of the book's charm and, and, and appeal. I think in comics, it's such an exciting thing when we know people who are insiders in the community have seen a book developing serially for years and years and years. But this opportunity and and designating it as a star is a way for the kind of broader readership who may not follow, you know, serial comics to get you know, brought to their attention a book now in its full form. So I think this is really kind of an exciting moment. It'll really reach a new readership. Okay. So what else you got? So, um... As I was saying, it's very serious to give a start of you. We take it really seriously. Mm-hmm. So it raised my eyebrows when the book My Boyfriend is a Bear by <laughs> Pamela Ribbon and Kat Ferris was recommended. And I paused and I thought, this just really looks light, you know, like, mm. but I got into it. It was so charming. Yeah. And its intentions are to be light. Its intentions are to be a romance, um, to be satirical to some extent. Mm-hmm. And it was darling. You know, the art was very sweet. Um, but sweet in this way that was non-generic you know it really was was specific to the character Um, and the allegory you know or the fable of having a bear as a boyfriend was a way of getting at a lot of deeper issues around relationships yeah 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 on on the on this there is its charming side but actually when you as she recounts the bear's Mm. you know strong points I mean it really is a kind of a checkbook for how to make a relationship work in some ways and there's this built in um, drama of the bear needing to go into hibernation (laughs) (laughs) and leave her which is you know her whole um, the the build up in this relationship is that she's had these these uh, past boyfriends who have generally sucked in various ways and that she's felt abandoned and then here she has this really wonderful cuddly you know, <laughs> yeah, good guy. He'll wear a suit if you Craft. really make him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Craft beer loving bear. Yes, yeah. um, but he has to leave her for yes. the whole winter, and um, the the end is really charming and romantic. It's an incredibly and, charming book, and the ending, yeah. oh, you know what? It almost made me cry. I know, I teared up. So I really recommend picking it yes. up. And sometimes comics can just be funny. Yep. And this is from Oni Press, from Oni right? Press, and indeed. I think and Young Francis, I believe, is from uh, Ad House Books. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Sorry. Um, then one more book. Yeah. I'm really pleased to talk about We Ate Wonder Bread by Nicole Hollander from Fantagraphics. This is coming mm-hmm. out this month in March. And, uh, if you don't know Hollander, she is the uh, cartoonist behind the long running Sylvia comic. Sure. I remember from The Voice years ago. Yes. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, if you can conjure Sylvia in your mind, she's got the big beehive and she always has a cat, you know, draped over her mm-hmm. shoulder and she's wry commentary. Um, she's sort of Irma Bombeckian, you know, she's mm-hmm. really of a period. And this is actually Hollander's memoir of growing up in the 1950s. And there's a real, like, table talk quality to it. It's about 
about working class Chicago, listening to her mother and her aunts gossip. Um, there's a quote, my mother was always in the kitchen with a the neighbor. They didn't work. They had no money. They took care of the children and they drank coffee. And the gab sessions of her family is, are who inspired Sylvia, you know, who kind of mm-hmm. cre- created that character uh-huh. in her mind. Um, but she gets into a lot of other issues, you know, in terms of having started her strip in the 70s when, um, quote unquote, a woman cartoonist was an oxymoron. Um, and I love this review as well. I think the review is really well written. I like that when you get like a yeah. great mm-hmm. line. You know, the final line of the review is, um, if you don't mind me just reading it Please out. Please do. Um, her raw, chatty honesty feels as contemporary as any Jezebel article, and as salty, delicious as Lady Astor's chicken fat Hollander spread on her childhood sandwiches. Okay. Well, uh, I think that's a delightful batch of books. Um, and uh, so we'll have to have you back on. In fact, I think we're going to do this at least every month. At least every month, and hopefully we'll have enough stars, but I think we will. All right, great. Thanks, Thank Meg. Thank you.